0: Before I preach, a couple thank yous. Uh, A lot of you guys serve around here in various ways. Thank you to all of you who serve. But a couple new faces you may have noticed serving. Jay is on the worship team this morning. Thank you, Jay. John and Amanda back there on the soundboard. And if you see George and Deb with the older kids, give them a a hug too. Just thankful for all the ways you guys use your gifts around here. And i got to make a disclaimer about this morning's sermon, a few of us in this room were at a Lecrae concert last night and didn't get to sleep until 2 a.m. So if Carolyn, Adam or his son or Liz fall asleep, we're going to blame it on Lecrae, not my sermon. If any of the rest of you fall asleep, I'll take it personally. <laughs> so um, I'm really excited uh, about this morning. Normally when we hear this passage, it's around Christmas And sometimes that can be confining um, because people have heard it at that time of year so many times. I feel a little more freedom this morning uh, being in October when people aren't really thinking Christmas thoughts to focus on some different things in Luke chapter 2 around Jesus' birth. And I pray that it will encourage you this morning. My heart for this message is that if you came in discouraged, disillusioned, uh, feeling Unloved or, or useless to God that you would leave feeling just the opposite uh, because that's so much of what I see in Luke's telling of the birth of Jesus Christ how many of you guys love underdogs underdogs the, the one unlikely to succeed that's why I'm rooting for the Kansas City Royals though statistically they have every bit of as much of a chance of winning the World Series as everybody else their team hasn't been to the playoffs since 1989. And they're now in the playoffs, and I'm rooting for them. Because I'm like, man, that's been a long time. I would love to see them win the World Series. The Giants have done it more recently. The Cardinals have. Let's go Royals. I love the, the underdog. I think all of us love underdogs. That's why so many movies and stories focus on the underdog. You think about Lord of the Rings. Is it really possible that this little hobbit can, can change the fate of Middle Earth. He's an underdog. That's why we root for him. Peter Parker. Just an inconspicuous, awkward teenager with no parents. Could could he really make a difference against great evil in this city? That's the story of Spider-Man. Cinderella, a hated stepsister turned house slave. Could she really become a loved princess? We, we read these stories, we love these stories because in them, I think we see ourselves. We wonder inside, am I really loved? Can I really make a difference in this world? We've got all kinds of things that we wrestle with, all the reasons we think we can't either be loved or, or maybe if we know we're loved by God, maybe we doubt if he can really use me in a powerful way. Some of the things we say, I'm too young right now. I, I'm just not old enough. Some, some would say I'm too old. I'm too busy. I, th- I think about moms and dads with young kids. There's no way God could use me in this station of life. I'm just too busy right now or too busy with a career. I work too many hours. God God can't use me like that. I'm too ill. I'm battling this disease that, that won't go away. There's no way God can use me in this weak state. Or you think about social things like I can't speak well. I'm not eloquent. I'm not an extrovert. I'm not smart enough. I don't read enough. I'm not good looking or popular. All these things that come through our mind that that convince us I can't be used in a mighty way. That's reserved for someone else in God's kingdom. Circumstances. What about these? You ever believe these lies? My family life is too messed up. My family is way too dysfunctional. There is no way God could use me. He only uses those families that got those perfect little little Hallmark Hallmark families going on. There's too much emotional pain from my past. You look at your life and you look at some of the things that have happened to you and you say I'm too broken. I am too broken. There's no way God could heal me and use me. Or what about this? There's too much sin in my past. I have a reputation that I could never overcome. And while God's love is good for other people, there's no way I can receive it for myself because I've gone too far. I've heard that from people I know and love. A lot of us feel like underdogs. The story of Jesus' birth gives us encouragement in that regard. Philip Yancey wrote the following about Jesus' birth. He said, underdog. I wince even as I write the word, especially in connection with Jesus. It's a crude word probably derived from dogfighting and applied over time to predictable losers and victims of injustice. Yet as I read the birth stories about Jesus, I cannot help but conclude that though the world may be tilted toward the rich and powerful, God is tilted toward the underdog. I love that quote. Some of you Audio Adrenaline fans may recognize it from their song, Underdog. They borrowed that from from Philip Yancey. But I want to look at three things around Jesus' birth in Luke chapter 2 that give hope to the underdog. First, we want to look at an unlikely entry for a king. We want to look at his unlikely ancestry. And we want to look at the unlikely messengers that God chose to give the message to at the beginning. I want to start with the unlikely entry for the king of the universe. Luke chapter 2, verse 1. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, A couple of things about this passage jump out at me, and a lot of times when we preach this passage, we go out of our way to paint a picture of just how horrible this stable or manger or, or room was. Okay, Luke doesn't really go into that a lot. Did you notice that? It's just pretty straightforward. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. He doesn't spend a lot of time painting this awful picture. And, and I can't help but wonder if for Luke, it's just enough to blow his mind that the God of the universe was born as a human on this planet at all. <laughs> maybe that doesn't blow our minds like, like it should. Because sometimes I think maybe we imagine, hey, he should have been born in a palace you know, like a, like a royal prince. But I think in Luke's mind, if we got an accurate picture of how glorious God is, even if Jesus had been born in an earthly palace, the very fact that the God of the universe was born as a human at all on this planet blew his mind. Jesus was worshipped by millions of angels as the king of the universe. For him to be born here at all ought to shake us up. Listen to this quote, the God who roared, who could order armies and empires about like pawns on a chessboard. This God emerged in Palestine as a baby who could not speak or eat solid food or control his bladder, who depended on a teenager for shelter, food and love. (laughs) You talk about an unlikely entry for the king of the universe. Even Bethlehem, the place he was born. Micah 5, 2 was a prophecy. Said, but you, Bethlehem, though you are small among the clans of Judah, it was a small town. It wasn't Jerusalem where the temple was. It was a small town. Micah said, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. Just to think of a baby described like that, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. That blows my mind. There are ways in which Bethlehem made sense. The prophecy was that the Messiah would be born there. It meant house of bread, Bethlehem. One of Jesus' favorite descriptors of himself was, I am the bread of life. So it makes sense in some ways, but in other ways it was just an inconspicuous small town. Listen to what Malcolm Muggeridge's said about Jesus' birth. It is extremely improbable under existing conditions today that Jesus would have been permitted to be born at all. Mary's pregnancy and poor circumstances and with the father unknown would have been an obvious case for an abortion. And her talk of having conceived as a result of the intervention of the Holy Ghost would have pointed to the need for psychiatric treatment. It made the case for terminating her pregnancy even stronger. Thus, our generation, needing a savior more perhaps than any that has ever existed, would be too humane to allow one to be born. That puts in perspective the unlikely entry for the king of the universe. Paul described it in beautiful words in Philippians chapter 2 and your relationships with one another have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing. By taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. That ought to never get old to us. But Jesus, as Paul says, made himself nothing. Nothing an unlikely entry for a king. If you think about Bethlehem, the second point I want to get at is that he also had a very unlikely ancestry that was also connected to the town of Bethlehem. You remember Israel had a powerful, tall, strong-looking king named Saul, their first king. But he repeatedly disobeyed God and God came to the prophet Samuel and said, it's time for another king. I want you to go to Bethlehem. And I'll show you who the king is. In 1 Samuel 16, verse 6, it says, When they arrived, Samuel saw Jesse's oldest, Eliab, and thought, Surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. I don't know if the dude was ripped, tall, handsome, eloquent, or just because it was the oldest, but Randy said, that I'm talking about him, yeah. <laughs> Mr. Handsome. Samuel saw something in this guy and said, this guy must be the king. This must be the king. Surely this is the Lord's anointed. But the Lord said to Samuel in verse 7, Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance. Say it with me, but the Lord looks at the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and had him pass in front of Samuel, another brother. Samuel said, the Lord has not chosen this one either. Jesse then had Shema pass by, but Samuel said, nor has the Lord chosen this one. Seven of the sons passed by Samuel, but Samuel said to him, the Lord has not chosen these. So he asked Jesse, are these all the sons you have? Jesse, maybe almost apologetically, well, they're still the youngest, He's out tending the sheep. He didn't even bring him to the party. (laughs) Surely he couldn't be the one God wants. Samuel said, send for him. We will not sit down until he arrives. So he sent for him and had him brought in. He was glowing with health and had a fine appearance and handsome features. Then the Lord said, rise and anoint him. This is the one. The one his father had left out with the sheep was the one God wanted. Why? Because he looks at the heart. And David, as we know, was described as a man after God's own heart. Unlikely choice, even in the eyes of his father. But that's who God set his eyes on, to be the king. Unlikely choice when we look at his history. He started out great. But we all know the the dark moment of David's life. Adultery with Bathsheba. Murdering her husband, lying. Yet it was after that event in his life. Listen to this. You talk about unlikely. In 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 8. God said, Now then tell my servant David, this is what the Lord Almighty says. I took you from the pasture, from tending the flock. And appointed you ruler over my people Israel. I have been with you wherever you have gone. And I have cut off all your enemies from before you. Now I will make your name great. Like the names of the greatest men on earth. But here's the deal. Why, Why would God still choose to bless this man? Why would he allow him to remain king? Why would he call him a man after God's own heart, it wasn't because he was the firstborn or the most likely choice. It wasn't because he was perfect. He was a man after God's own heart. He cared about what God cared about. When confronted with this sin, he confessed, repented, and continued to walk with God. He cared about what was important to God. You remember his response when he was confronted with this sin? Psalm 51 Have mercy on me, O God according to your unfailing love according to your great compassion blot out my transgressions wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin for I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. You hear that heart? When he was confronted with his sin he did not excuse it as Saul did He did not downplay it as his own son Solomon did. He repented. That gives us hope. You may be sitting here today saying, man, (laughs) I'm an unlikely choice to be used by God because I have done this or I have done this. And what this tells me when we look at Jesus' own ancestor, David, is that God is looking for people who are humble, Humble means when God tells me something, I I receive it, even if it's uncomfortable. I realize he is God and I am not. He is right and I am not. People who are repentant, when God shows me my sin, I don't put on this false outer shell that says I'm perfect. No, I'm not perfect. I'm broken. I'm sinful. But God, I admit that. And I ask your forgiveness and I ask you to help me turn from my sin. Humble Repentant and people of faith. You know what it means to have faith? It means to take God at his word, to believe that God is who he says he is and that he will do what he says he will do. When God says I can be forgiven because Jesus took my sin on the cross and rose again, I believe that. When God says he can use even me, Because he sent his Holy Spirit to live in me. I believe that and I take him at his word and I go out there and live in this world as though that's true. I live in my neighborhood and my workplace and my world in a way that says, I believe you can use me, God. Not because of who I am, but because of who you are. There's an unlikely entry for a king, unlikely ancestry, and last I want to look at some unlikely messengers. Luke spends 12 verses telling us about shepherds, so I think he's focusing on them. So we're going to spend a little time there. There were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were terrified. There's a common response so far, right? You remember Zechariah, angel, terrified. Mary, angel, terrified. I don't think angels look like the guys on the Hallmark carts. <laughs> Every time people see them, they freak out. But again, the angel comforts them. The angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you you will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Up till now, one angel. If that's not enough, you can imagine the shepherds in verse 13. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, The shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. These shepherds heard angels praising God. One of the only other people in the Bible to witness that, you know who? Isaiah chapter six. He saw angels thinking, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And now it's shepherds, and you say, Big deal. You need to know how shepherds were viewed in that society. They were looked down on. They were often despised. They were usually illiterate. They were viewed as unclean because of their job. They weren't even allowed beyond the outer courts at the temple. They were outcasts in that sense. They watched other people's sheep usually. They didn't own much of their own property, so they were looked down on for that. And some of them had a reputation for being untrustworthy. Luke gives us 12 verses to say, this is the group that the angels chose to give the message to. The first people God came to through the angels after Jesus was born were those looked down on and despised by society. Philip Yancey said it this way, for just an instant, the sky grew luminous with angels. Yet who saw that spectacle? Illiterate hirelings who watched the flocks of others nobodies who failed to leave their names. Shepherds had such a reputation that proper Jews lumped them together with the godless, restricting them to the outer courtyards of the temple. Fittingly, it was they whom God selected to help celebrate the birth of the one who would be known as the friend of sinners. If you ask the average Jew, who will the angels come to first? Probably not one of them would say shepherds. But this shows the heart of Jesus Christ, the son of man who came to seek and save what was lost. And the fact that the angels came to the shepherds ought to encourage every one of us in here. When we wrestle with the idea that I'm an unlikely candidate to be loved by God, to be spoken to by God, we look back at the shepherds and even some of the things the shepherds said would encourage, what the angels said would encourage the shepherds. The angel said there would be great joy for who? All the people. All the people, not just some select group. Peace would come to who? Peace to those on whom God's favor rests. Not to the rich only not to the deserving not to the polished not just to the religious elite it's for all the people and those upon whom god chooses to show his grace if you're a shepherd hearing that you can't believe your ears for all the people even me god could cause his favor to rest on even me It blew him away, as it should blow us away. And we know the kind of people that God shows his grace to. Luke in chapter 6, verse 20 and 21. Jesus looked at his disciples and he said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who hunger now for you will be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. The heart of what Luke is saying and what Jesus is saying is, is those who know they have a need that Jesus came to save. Those who will admit they need a savior receive his grace. Their response, three things. This is so awesome. that They ran to Jesus. Verse 16 says, They hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. Now, of course, if you hear something from an angel, you're probably going to obey him. So I think that's one part of it here. But I just imagine them going just in disbelief, like amazed that, wow, this Savior's for us. Can you imagine the anticipation of seeing this Savior that came even for me? this is in contrast to what Matthew tells us. You remember the wise men traveled uh, to Jerusalem and they talked to Herod and the religious leaders. And the religious leaders told the wise men he's in Bethlehem. But those religious leaders, there's no word that any of them went to see what was going on. (laughs) You know, sometimes when we're the religious elite or we're polished or we think we're okay, we don't realize we need a Savior. These shepherds knew they needed a Savior and so they ran to Jesus. That should be our first response when we hear hear that there's a Savior that came even for me. Run to him. Second, they, they told others about Jesus. That's the second natural response for us. After we've run to Jesus and found his grace for me. Verse 17, when they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. They spread the word. Not just that there was a baby born, but what had been told them. What had been told them? That this is good news for all people. That he came to give peace to those upon whom his favor rests. He wanted to share this gospel, this this good news. But Mary treasured up all these things and and pondered them in her heart. Imagine Mother Mary just blown away. These shepherds said they saw angels to come see my son. What's going on here? But then there's a third thing. They brought glory to God. Verse 20, these shepherds. The shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. Their response should be ours. Run to them. Tell others about them and praise God because of what he's doing in our lives. They were unlikely messengers in that society. I know a lot of times us today, we, we look at the great commission that Jesus has given us to go out and make disciples. And we say, that's for that person or that person, but not me. God couldn't use me as a, that messenger. Catholic priest, a minister, and a rabbi went out in the woods. And they all had the goal to see, hey, which one of us could convert a bear to faith first? They're all working on their approach because that's what we think about a lot when we go out witnessing, right? What's the right approach? So, so the priest goes out and he's telling the story about what happened, and he says, "When I found the bear, I sprinkled holy water on him, and I read to him from the catechism, and within within one week, he was having his first communion." The minister says, "I I preached my heart out. I opened the Bible and preached one of the best messages I've ever preached." That bear knelt down and prayed the sinner's prayer and within a week he was baptized. Then they looked at the rabbi who was laying in a full body cast in a gurney and he says, maybe I shouldn't have started with circumcision. (laughs) They all had a different approach to converting that bear, right? And sometimes when it comes to being a, a messenger for Jesus... One of the things we think about is what, what approach do I take? And, and we don't do it because we're not sure we got the right approach. But I think maybe even a deeper issue than what approach do I take is do I really believe, first of all, that God has forgiven me and that I'm free in his grace? And secondly, do I really believe that God can use me to lead someone to Jesus? That can he use me as a messenger? For a lot of us, that's the bigger deal. We don't believe that. We don't really believe that God has forgiven all my sins. We don't really believe that he could use me. And so why would I go out and be used by him? So I want to wrestle with those two questions. Do you believe that God could love even you? J.B. Phillips talked about, he he created this fictional story around the, the birth of Jesus about two angels looking in. Just listen to the, the conversation. There's a senior angel and a, a lower-ranked angel. The, the lower-ranked angel says to the senior-ranked angel, Do you mean that our great and glorious prince went down in person to this fifth-rate little ball? He was looking at the earth. Do you really believe that our great and glorious prince went there? Why should he do a thing like that? The little angel's face wrinkled in disgust. Do you mean to tell me that he stooped so low as to become one of those creeping, crawling creatures on that floating ball? The senior angel said, I do. And I don't think he would like you to call them creeping, crawling creatures in that tone of voice. For strange as it may seem to us, he loves them. He went down to visit them, to lift them up, To become like him. The little angel looked blank. Such a thought was almost beyond his comprehension. I think some of us are in the camp of that little angel. We just, it's too good to be true. He couldn't love me. Yet the message of the birth of Jesus says he could. And he does. The second question, do you believe God could use you to spread his message? Listen to what Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 1. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things. And the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, holiness and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. If you look at your life and you feel like any of those things describe you weak, uninfluential, foolish despised lowly (laughs) he says those are the kind of folks God uses and he does it so that people don't boast in their own glory but that they'll boast in the Lord last night at the Lecrae concert Lecrae shared his story of how he came up out of a troubled childhood and came to Jesus and one of the things he said was if you got scars that God has healed in your life don't hide those scars you look at your past the the ways you've fallen the ways you've been broken Don't hide those scars. Don't pretend they didn't happen. Show off your scars because those scars are testimony to the fact that there is a God who heals the broken and uses them for his glory and his kingdom. Do you believe God could love you? Do you believe Jesus could use you? I want to close with a testimony of someone many of you know. A couple weeks ago, my wife and I and our boys went to a wedding. Uh, Krista Riker, daughter of Stephen Vergee, uh, got married. Her and her new husband are about to go to Haiti for five years on a missions trip to share Jesus. A lot of times we hear stuff like that and we, we put missionaries in a different box. We think of them as invincible superheroes, like they're different from me. Or even people that make a difference in our local community, we say, That's, they're different from me. But I want you to hear her testimony. And as you listen to her testimony, I want you to ask yourself those two questions. Do I believe that Jesus loves me, that he came to save me, and that he could use me? My name is Krista Riker. And I'm here to tell you that I belong to God and with his mighty hand, he has saved me. And with his mighty hand, he has redeemed me. In Isaiah 43:1 it says, but now says the Lord who created you, O Jacob, and he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by your name. You are mine. She goes on to tell her story. She said, I was raised in a Christian home with the best parents anyone could ever ask for. Growing up, I had always been very close with my cousins. They were my best friends. In high school, my cousin, Kaylin was diagnosed with a rare bone cancer. I prayed throughout the next year fully believing that he would be healed. A year before he turned 18, however, Kalen died. I remember laying by the foot of his bed, my hands on his feet, praying and begging God to bring him back. But Kalen never woke up. And it was then that I decided to go down my own path. This is so raw and real, right? She said, I didn't want to serve a God that would take someone so dear to me away. So I became a slave to my circumstances because I didn't believe that I belonged to God. Throughout college, I took my rebellion to another level. I began using meth. On the outside, I had everything, but on the inside, I was growing darker and darker. I was a slave to the drug. I had great grades and a soccer scholarship, but the drug took over and I did whatever it told me to. So feeling hopeless and alone... I dropped out of college and moved back home with my parents. My parents could tell something was going on. My parents had changed and my mood was a constant fury. My mom would come into the room crying and begging to help me in some way. My response was always a cruel word followed with a door in her face. I was destroying the relationships that were closest to me and I didn't even care. One night, as I was basking in my self-defeat, I decided to try something different. I prayed for the first time in a long time, begging God to save me from this cycle of self defeat. And God answered. The next day, I got in contact with an old friend from high school named Justin. God used him in my life to instill hope. And in the following months, I quit using drugs and I got back on track. Throughout my life, I could see that I was the one who hurt others. I was the bully, and I had produced my own self-destruction. I was not the victim. I was the one in the wrong. You hear that humility? The repentance? And though I couldn't see it at the time, I still belonged to God, and He still answered my prayers. The debt that I had built up, He had paid through His death on the cross. His mighty hand was there time and time again to lift me back up. I know that I am redeemed, not because of anything I could ever do, but because of who God is. God broke the power of addiction in my life and took it a step further and gave me a future and a hope. He called me and my fiancé, now husband Justin, to a ministry school called Impact 195. God chose me, an unworthy, wretched sinner, and he gave me a yearning to learn about him, to seek his face. Just a little bit more. It's, it's beautiful. I have found God. Isaiah 43 1 says, He has redeemed me. It goes on to say, When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, nor shall the flame scorch you. During a recent prayer event here at Impact 195, I was praying. And God showed me pictures of my life. Ever been there where you're praying and you start to think back different chapters? He showed me when my cousin died, times of depression and hurt, the times when I was using drugs. As shame started to trickle into my mind, the pictures changed. I saw Jesus kneeling by my cousin's bedside with me. He was comforting me and telling me it was okay. Okay. And I saw him wiping the tears from my face as he cried with me in the midst of my depression and heartache. I also saw him, arms outstretched, ready to catch me as he pleaded with me to put the drugs down and come to him. He showed me all the times that I should have died and how his angels were there protecting me. And he said to me, don't you see, Krista, I've been with you all along. I have paid for all of this. You are forgiven. You're redeemed. And you are mine. And her closing, because she shared this at Impact 195, is what I'm going to close with today, because it's just perfect. She said, maybe there are some of you out there who don't believe you can be redeemed. Maybe you think that the shackles that bind you are too tight to be broken. But I'm here to tell you that there is no sin or darkness too deep that the blood of Jesus cannot redeem. Throw away the shackles of slavery and jump into his mighty hand, which has always been right beside you, waiting to guide you and ready to bring you back to himself. Her closing sentence, my God is a redeemer. I dare you to believe it. (laughs) Father, That's what Jesus is all about. The Son of Man came to seek and save what was lost. And even in your birth, an unlikely entry for a king, unlikely ancestry, unlikely messengers, we see that you came for all people who put their trust in you. Father, I pray that uh, that would wash over us this morning as we hear Christa's testimony, Lord believe it gives us all hope there may be some that came in here feeling unloved this morning doubting that you could love them may your grace wash over them there may be some feeling unusable Uh, lord may you remind them in their heart of hearts of the shepherds the way you you turned krista's life around and now sending her and her husband to haiti Uh, lord your grace is for all of us and so I just want to extend the offer this morning. I'll be in the back after, after my prayer. If anyone would like to pray, maybe, maybe you want to come to that grace for the first time. Maybe you haven't heard of this kind of grace before. Maybe for you, you thought Jesus was all about a list of rules. And you know you can't keep them. Maybe this is the first time you've heard that he came to save you in his grace. He, he is the one who kept the rules in our place took our sins upon himself and died on that cross as Paul says became a sin offering for us that we might become the righteousness of God I'd love to talk with you if that's you maybe you're a believer and you've trusted in that but this morning you just find yourself in that discouraged place where if you're really honest it's hard to believe this morning that he loves me that he wants to use me that he's not done with me I'd love to pray with you in the back Father, please move and give us a moment of silence for your spirit to speak through your word that we've heard this morning. You speak to each one in this room what they need from you. we thank you for being tilted toward the underdog we all need that hope Lord I pray that uh, even as we prepare to take our offering this morning that as a church we would use that faithfully to preach that message of grace in our community and beyond Lord we pray your blessings upon Justin and Krista as they prepare to travel to Haiti I know the reason they're going is because they're blown away by your grace. And I pray that that would sweep over us as well in our community where you've put us. May we leave here blown away with the idea that you love us and that you want to use us and that just like those shepherds, go tell it. Those neighbors, those coworkers, bring glory to you. Pray for the women at the Gospel Rescue Mission who will hear it this week from a missional community go before that group. Speak through them of your grace and mercy and healing. Use us all to that end. In Jesus' name, amen.